faith to see what can be. Unburdened by what has been, we move mountains. Let's have a problem-solving president. Let's deal with the issues that are challenging us. And let's write the next chapter about the America we believe in. This campaign is about all of us. It is so much bigger than me. I cannot do this without you. I need you. Everything that you guys are doing out there that is about touching your neighbors and your friends and perfect strangers, it's about all of us knowing our power, each of us, to lift people up, right? And to remind them that we see them and we hear them and that they matter. I'm Matali. And I'm Noemi. And this is Podcast for the People. So we are essentially wanting to shed light on one of the candidates who's running for president, Senator Kamala Harris, who is the junior senator from California. Um, I first became familiar with Kamala right on election day in 2016. I remember I was living in L.A. at the time and I had stayed awake to watch Hillary's concession speech. And it was like, I think it was like four or five o'clock in the morning. And I was obviously super upset about everything that had transpired. And in the midst of that, our local coverage was showing that there was a senator who had just won. And she came on and I guess scrapped all of her talking points because she was anticipating that we would be celebrating the first woman president. And she just came on and she said, we will fight. And then I was like dead as half asleep and I woke up and I was like, oh my God, who is this person? She's so awesome. Like, And that was where she first caught my eye. That's a really cool story. Um, for me, I uh, am currently a freelancer, so I have a lot of time. So since the Trump election, I had been watching the Senate hearings in 2017. Um, sometimes I would watch them you know, very closely. Sometimes I had them in the background and she really, um, she, she really caught my eye, um, particularly on the sessions hearing. The questions she were, she was asking to me were very interesting and were extremely specific compared to some Democrats that were really just asking questions because they just didn't want to confirm anyone. I thought she was just, um, extremely interesting and had really researched the topic. Right. And she w is a former prosecutor as well. So, you know, that when she comes into that room, she's not there to mess around. She already is asking questions that she knows the answers to. Exactly. And I think that's what really sets her apart in all of the hearings from like mm -hmm. Sessions to Bill Barr to Brett Kavanaugh. Like those clips of her have really set her apart from the rest of the. Exactly. And I think in those times where, you know, justice doesn't seem to be in the White House, this is the person that we need in 2020 to figure out what's going to happen after Trump presidency. Right. And so one of the things that has happened since those hearings is around that time you hear everybody was like, oh, my God, she's so great. She should run for president. We need somebody like her in the White House. And then now, boom, like we're at the end of 2019 and it just hasn't gone the way we all anticipated that it would go. Right. And I mean, there's a number of factors that contribute to that. And that's kind of one of the reasons why this is happening right now. Um, so one of the things we wanted to talk about is implicit bias. And implicit bias is essentially when we have attitudes toward people or stereotype them without our conscious knowledge. So that's very different from explicit bias, which is when people are consciously making choices and statements toward a group of people or a specific person based on stereotype. 
implicit bias is m very, very, very important to note that it is very much existing in your subconscious. So you can publicly denounce certain things or you can disagree with certain concepts while still maintaining an element of them in your behavior and in your thoughts without even realizing it. So Exactly. So one example of this is this clip of Joe Biden. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. I don't think there's a person out there that would say that Joe Biden is a racist. But that being said, saying that poor kids are just as smart as white kids is very reflective of a particular way of thinking that's not really in line with where we are right now. Exactly. Yep. And that's obviously very problematic, but that's just a minor example of how implicit bias can manifest itself. Right. And another thing that's been happening as well is that all of the people of color who are running for the Democratic nomination, it seems as if their candidacy is questioned from the very beginning, like right off the bat. Mm -hmm. um, at the Texas Tribune Trib Fest, Katie Turr, who works for NBC and MSNBC, asked Julian Castro at, at the event a certain question, and this is how it went. How would you feel about the Democratic Party if the next nominee uh, was Caucasian? Look, I'm going to support the next nominee enthusiastically if I'm not the next nominee. How would you feel about the Democratic Party if the next nominee was Caucasian? Is just such an irresponsible question. I mean, like, so how would you feel if the Democratic Party continued to do what it's done every single election cycle except for one? Buttigieg, Warren, Biden, Sanders, none of them were asked the question, how would you feel about the Democratic Party if the nominee was a person of color? Exactly, yeah. Why and is also, that question even being asked? Exactly. Something else that, um, that has been for Kamala Harris, she is essentially having to battle being a woman and being a person of color. And as we've seen with Hillary in 2016, the treatment of women in the media as far as politics is very different than men. Um, and it doesn't matter how much experience you have. So, for example, with Hillary in, um, I believe it was in 2015, the media really questioned her stamina and whether she was fit for office right after she was seen uh, fainting when she was leaving a 9-11 memorial event. Oh, my God, I remember that. Like, I know Steve Kornacki on MSNBC, that guy, yeah. he has all these graphics up. And that particular day, he had put, like, 11 a.m., leaves her apartment, like, 11.51, this happens. And it was just unbelievable to me right. that and we're also, dissecting. She was wearing, first of all, a bulletproof vest. It was hot. <laughs> yeah. She it, had yeah. pneumonia. Like, what? Exactly. And, I mean... Fainting, this can happen to anyone. I, I have low blood pressure. I cannot stay in line for 30 minutes. Yeah. Having a little bit of a fainting moment has nothing to do with being able to run for presidency. Right. When you compare this to the aftermath or Bernie having a heart attack, which is a very Happened real... very recently this a year. A very real heart condition um, for someone his age, at really at any age, but for someone his age particularly, yes, it begs the question, why are women portrayed as such and I feel like for women you always have to show no you're not as weak it's always a reactive mode compared to with you with men that may have actually very serious condition we're saying oh you know what like I'm really glad he's feeling well which obviously we are but should someone that has a heart attack be running for president for an election that is still a year away Right, but that's not the conversation that's happening at all. The narrative right now is he's back and better than ever. I don't know if you saw right. the campaign ad. That it's they a pushed, Bernie 2.0. Right, 
And even women are partaking in this, and that kind of goes back to an implicit bias where they're like, oh, so you're, I think it was Sarah Silverman who said, oh, so this was Bernie with a heart condition? Imagine how he's going to be now where Hillary was never given that same benefit of the doubt. Exactly. He was just questioned right from the bat. Right. So coming to Kamala Harris now, who is on the receiving end of both racism and sexism, she's kind of getting hit from both sides on that issue. Yes. And it's been more problematic than I was expecting, absolutely. Yes, and it, the problem is it keeps continuing. This is uh, something that has been raised in the past few months. It has occurred again in a more, even a more dramatic way, I would say, this past weekend. So you yes. may have heard um, the 2019 Presidential Justice Forum uh, was scheduled for October 25th and 27th uh, on the Benedict uh, College campus. It's an HBCU in South Carolina, and it was sponsored by the 2020 Bipartisan Justice Center. So on the first day, on October 25th, Trump received an award from the organizing group, so the 2020 Bipartisan Justice Center, for his work on, wait for it, criminal justice reform. <laughs> so Trump received an award in this field. He is someone who has repeatedly hurt people of color, and this dates back from the Central Park Five, from his companies uh, discriminating against people of color, multiple instances and of earlier that. that week, he tweeted about lynching in the context of the impeachment inquiry. So then to go from being so insensitive about that and then getting an award for that same thing is just it's, unreal. It's nuts, exactly. So after hearing about this, she decided to drop out of the event, which she was supposed to uh, be scheduled on the next day, on, the, on the October 26th. Her campaign decided that instead of speaking at this event, which was just sponsor sponsored by a horrible organization, they decided that they would have an alternate event where students would be invited. So actually at the original event, um, only nine students were invited for something that was occurring on their campus. And they weren't allowed to ask any questions. Right. So she was the only candidate to pull out. She even received, she was not named, but Cory Booker tweeted about how he was very happy to participate in this event and that you should not shy away from this conversation. So what happened in this very short, less than 24 hours, the mayor of the city of Columbia in South Carolina, Steve Benjamin, decided instead that there will be one forum, the sponsor would be dropped, right. it would be still on the college campus, and it will be open to students, and this is pretty much what happened. Right, and the schedule would remain the same. But the key element here is that the sponsoring organization, the 2020 Bipartisan Justice Center, was removed from this event. Right. So then eventually what happened was that Kamala Harris and her campaign decided that, you know what, since our issue has been resolved, we're going to come back mm -hmm. and speak at this event, which is actually a different event. Right. It's a completely different completely event. Completely different event. And right. her pulling out, being the only candidate to do so, kind of changed the entire course of this event. Do you think she got the credit for that? So she did not get the credit for that. Not only was there a bunch of misinformation afterwards, but her action, which led to the sponsor getting dropped, the students being invited, were completely erased from um, every all single all course, mainstream media and other and other more local media. So, for example, the New York Times published a story explaining this event titled Democratic Candidates Rebuke Trump at Criminal Justice Forum. So, first of all, it was not candidates, uh, it's plural. It was one, one person. One candidate. 
And they used a picture of Cory Booker to illustrate the article. So if you shared this article on Twitter, on Facebook, on any kind of social media, it was only Cory Booker with a mic speaking. Who, in fact, was the only candidate that actually said, I'm going to speak anyway. Right. Exactly. So afterwards, they did change the picture of Kamala Harris, but that was after many hours of people denouncing that on social media. Another uh, local paper uh, in South Carolina, uh, it's called Countdown News. It's essentially the, the local paper for um, the area. Title and article, Democratic Presidential Kamala Harris decides to speak at the Bipartisan Criminal Justice Forum as their you know, new title um, after the event. So first of all, this was not even the name of the event anymore because this is not called, the sponsor was dropped. It was not the Presidential Criminal Justice Forum. It was called the Presidential Justice Forum. And it's not that she decided to speak there, is that the event was changed. Right. Um, something else, uh, the ABC News on October 27 is even worse than the prior one I have just, um, I have just mentioned. It was Kamala Harris drops out, then rejoin HBCU event after Trump honor. Again, she did not rejoin the same event. The event was completely changed. But also that makes it sound like she's flip-flopping on something, which is not the case at all. Instead of taking a stand on an issue and actually making a change. change. Exactly. Lastly, um, and this is more if you're on Twitter, but I think she has about 100,000 followers, so I will uh, mention this one. Um, Simone Sanders, she's a senior advisor on Biden campaigns tweeted, thanks to the leadership of Benedict President um, Dr. Artist and Colombia Mayor Steve Benjamin, Dems came together to support Benedict today. Kudos. No one came together. No. Who's missing from that? Whose name wasn't listed on that? Exactly. The one person who actually took action. Yeah. So first of all, as you've seen throughout the examples I've just mentioned, there was complete erasure of Kamala's action, but it was also factually wrong. None of the Democrats came together. She was the only one to protest the event. The event was completely changed. And unless you followed pretty much every hour, because there was such a short timeline, mm -hmm. unless you really followed closely what happened, you would never know. No. And that's been a pattern in this entire race ever since she announced in back in January that she was running. So it's either that it's not even that she's getting negative coverage so much. Mm -hmm. It's that she's flat out getting no coverage, which is almost more problematic. So before we get to that, um, at the GLAD LGBTQ forum on September 20th, there was an author named Liz Lenz who interviewed both Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren separately. They were each given an equal amount of time to speak. And in the first question that she asked, in the first interview that she did with Senator Harris, she asked the following question. During your time as Attorney General in California, you did send a brief seeking to deny gender affirmation surgery for trans inmates. You stated that at the time you were just enforcing the existing law. But with this history, the question is how can trans people trust you will advocate for them? Now, notice the framing of that question. So first of all, Harris is being presented as untrustworthy and referred to as you. So that already right off the bat, you're implying that she's other. You know, mm -hmm. how can we trust you? Right. You are a different person from us. It was very non-inclusive. Very non-inclusive and quite frankly, condescending at the same time. And this is a similar question that she phrased to Warren slightly differently. In 2012, yes. you wrote that you did not support gender-affirming surgery for yep. trans inmates. 
in January of this year, you reversed your opinion and said you had changed on this issue, yep. which is great. But so many people in America haven't, as you were just uh, talking about. So here in Iowa, a Republican-led legislature changed our civil right laws to deny trans people the right to gender-affirming surgery under Medicaid. So you just said we had to get everybody on board. How do we even do that? How she says you changed your mind, which is great. Don't understand how this was passed over so quickly where Warren is presented as being open-minded and referred to as we. So you know that's implying that you're part of us. Exactly. So Harris is you, but Warren is we. Right. Right? And that really affects the way that people process things. Very, very slight differences in how things are worded and how things are phrased can impact the listeners, what the listener takes away from that conversation. So right, right off the bat, that's a problem. So then Harris actually goes to answer the question of, how can we trust you? So she starts off by talking about her record. And so I will yeah. always be committed to well, putting in place justices. You, in you, you're talking a lot about what you've done, but what are you going to do? Yeah, I but think I'm sharing. So first of all, you're interrupting her, right? And she acknowledges that Kamala has told her a lot about what she's done, but not what she's going to do. So first of all, in my opinion, Talking about what you're going to do has absolutely no weight unless you have a history of getting things done. Like, it's great to have plans, it's great to have ideas, but if you don't have a history of actually putting things into action, to me it kind of doesn't make any sense. And especially because Kamala's a newer candidate, it's very important for her to be able to let people know what her record is. Because how can you form an opinion about somebody if you don't even know what they've done? And then following that, following that they held another LGBTQ town hall on October 10th, and the coverage of that was honestly very infuriating. It was very problematic. So this is from Vox.com. They published an article the next day titled Four Winners and Three Losers from the Presidential Town Hall on LGBTQ Issues. The winners, as they named, were Pete Buttigieg, Anderson Cooper, black trans women making themselves heard, and Elizabeth Warren. The losers were lesbians, bisexual, non-binary people, Quit Como's pronouns joke, Joe Biden. The only mention of Kamala was in the context of Chris Cuomo's joke, which was honestly terrible. Yeah. She has been one of the first um, prominent gay rights activists since she's been in office. Uh, she was officiating gay marriage in 2004. And um, that same year, she started an LGBT hate crimes unit in California. She also refused to defend Prop 8 as California's attorney general. Right. So this is somebody that has a very long history of standing up for people in the LGBTQ community. Yes, absolutely. Um, the Washington Blade, which is an LGBTQ newspaper, published Buttigieg, Warren, Unville, Comprehensive Plans for LGBT Rights. When Kamala and Julian Castro did so the same day and were completely excluded from the article. Right. So those four candidates dropped their plans all on the same day. But somehow only the two, Buttigieg and Warren, were acknowledged. But Kamala and Julian Castro were completely excluded from the article. Then following that, there was a general across major uh, news platforms and social media. There was this propping up of Warren as a, the winner of the LGBTQ town hall. So let's see. Let's see. 
was she actually a quote-unquote winner of the town hall. So when asked if she was opposed to gay marriage when she was a Republican, she claimed she couldn't remember. How can you not remember? A Republican by party for many years. Yeah. Was there ever a time that you felt differently about this issue in particular, about same-sex marriage? No, I don't think so. I actually don't remember it. I mean... It may have been the case. I don't, you know, I don't have notes from when I was a little kid. But, but I don't. Beyond me. Like, how can you say, I didn't write things down from when I was a kid, but it bears repeating and mentioning that she was a Republican until she was 47. Okay, that to me seems to be a very basic question that you should be able to answer. Were you, did you have a different opinion on gay marriage when you were a Republican? Right. Not when you were a kid, when you were a Republican. Right. And then instead of answering the question, she proceeded to sing a verse from Jesus Loves the Little Children. Let's listen to it quickly. To me, it's about what I learned in the church I grew up in. First song I ever remember singing is, They are yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the children of the world. Now, the actual lyrics of that song are red, brown, yellow, black, and white. But clearly she left out the red and brown for a specific reason that mm -hmm. I'm not going to touch upon today. Right. And that was a d deflection from the original question as well. Absolutely. And then you have um, activist DeRay McKesson, who tweeted on October 10th during Kamala's section on the forum, which was, Kamala's content is solid on these answers, but the delivery is long-winded and is losing people. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that LGBTQ issues were easily addressed in quick little sound bites and songs. But someone, again, who has had a history of working on this issue is talking about all the stuff that she's done. And the delivery is really what the issue is here. So those are just, yeah, quick mentions from what happened in October um, during a few LGBTQ forums. Something else that has happened over the past few months has been the visual erasure of her as a top five candidate. So there has been multiple instances of Kamala not being mentioned, despite polling higher than some of her counterparts. So we'll just go through a few, but note that you could find many examples, and we actually could spend an entire episode of just this topic. We'll try to keep it fun and light, and we'll have audio clips, but it's, it's going to be a lot of facts. But you'll see, it is, um, it is very interesting. So one of the first thing I'd like to mention is MSNBC aired a video of the 2020 nominees talking about gun control. She was the only candidate omitted from this. And this is when we had 20 plus candidates running. So every single candidate was mentioned and was shown in this video except for her. Later on, Craig Melvin apologized to her because it happened during his show for doing so. Dig into this, and I don't do a lot of this, you can ask my wife. Uh, I want to apologize publicly. Why? Well, here's why. Uh, I have a cable show, for those of you uh, who don't know, it comes on 11 o'clock Eastern on MSNBC, uh, Eastern Standard Time, feel free to watch. Um, but a few weeks ago, we ran a clip of, you, you may not have heard, because you're running for president, and you're very busy, but, but we ran a clip, and it was actually a, a PSA from, I believe it was the Giffords group, uh, but it was all of the candidates talking about what they would do um, to tackle gun violence in mm. this country. And an accident led to you not being included. Oh. Yes, you were the only candidate not included, and it was for time. I had no idea it had happened. But I, I heard quickly after 
uh, from a number of people uh, that it had happened. So I wanted to apologize. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But again, if you've missed it the first time, you probably maybe thought that she didn't have a stance on it. Right. Which is very problematic because she is one of the first candidates to actually have released her gun control plan. Exactly. Uh, Saturday Night Live also did an episode about the LGBTQ town hall that I just mentioned with every candidate except for Kamala Harris again with no mention of her whatsoever. Right. And I mean, I've worked in that industry as well. And I understand that, you know what, it could have been something minor as Maya Rudolph was booked that day. You right. Know? It didn't have to be that like, oh, they purposefully chose to exclude Kamala from whatever this narrative was. But even still, it's a top for Canada, you should have some type of mention, some type of acknowledgement that she was there, some type of reference, nothing. Exactly. Completely zero. And this would not be a problem if it was one or a few instances. Right. It is repeatedly, has it has happened repeatedly over a few months over multiple mainstream news organization, print, digital, TV. Another one is MSNBC showed a graphic of polls in California, which listed Biden as polling at 22%, Warren at 18, Sanders at 17, Buttigieg at 10. And that's it. Kamala was left off completely of this. Even though she was polling higher than Buttigieg, she was actually at 13. So she was the actual fourth candidate. Right. So now, if I'm a casual viewer of MSNBC and I see that, and that's in my home state and that's my home senator, I'm assuming that she's doing so badly that she's not even polling 10%. Exactly. And this is what... You That's know, part of the problem. Right. I studied economics. You just can't pick and choose your data like this. You have to show it in order. If you remove the data point, you're supposed to put it all star, explain what happened, mm -hmm. why you're removing a data point. You can't just do that. Well, they did. Um, another one is the Washington Post published an article titled Winners and Losers from the October Democratic Debate with not a single mention of Kamala anywhere in spite of her garnering lots of positive, positive attention for being the only candidate to bring up reproductive rights in any of the last six debates. This is the sixth debate we have had in this presidential cycle, and not nearly one word with all of these discussions about health care on women's access to reproductive health care, which is under full-on attack in America today. And it's outrageous. There are states that have passed laws that will virtually prevent women from having access to reproductive health care. And it is not an exaggeration to say women will die. Poor women, women of color will die because these Republican legislatures in these various states who are out of touch with America are telling women what to do with our bodies. Women are the majority of the population in this country. People need to keep their hands off of women's bodies and let women make the decisions about their own lives. Thank you, Senator. And let's talk you, about Senator. that. That is a significant health care issue in America today. And you can see the Wall Street Journal published an article, Democratic Debate, The Moments That Mattered. Now, the wording of that is very specific. The moments that mattered. The moments that were listed were Joe Biden discussing his son, Hunter Biden, um, Warren being grilled on Medicare for All and not knowing how to pay for it, and Beto O'Rourke and Pete Buttigieg's exchange over assault weapons. Now, mind you, there was not a single mention of Kamala Harris even though she brought up the earlier point about reproductive rights. So what you're saying is that mention of reproductive rights is not a moment that mattered. Exactly. Right. When women are the majority population right. in this country. Absolutely. The New York Times, in their winner and losers of the Democratic debate, 
uh, also made a graphic featuring Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Steve Bullock, Marianne Williamson, Beto O'Rourke, John, John Hickenlooper, John Delaney, and Tim Ryan. That's a lot of names. Yes, actually, some of those candidates are no longer running. If you've also followed every single name I've mentioned, not a single candidate of color was actually included. This has also been updated after people express outrage. But again, this should not even have ever been uploaded online or printed. And by the time this debate had happened, John Hickenlooper was one of the candidates that was no longer in the race. So the fact that his image was still on that graphic, and it's the New York Times, it's not some little right. like opinion piece on a small website. That's a very, very big news organization, and that's honestly very irresponsible journalism. This is, I, he's also never pulled higher than 2%, so he should not have been on that graphic. Um, during the debate, Kamala and the other candidates of color received, and this was actually very noticeable, they received disproportionately less speaking time. So actually, as I was watching the debate, I was texting a friend and I was mentioning to her that it didn't seem like Kamala was getting any question. Amy Klobuchar was getting a good number of questions, particularly it was... She was getting a lot more than where she is in the polls. Mm -hmm. um, wasn't proportionate at all. Yes. So then after the debates, you know, looking at who actually spoke the most, here is where it came in. So Warren spoke for 22 minutes and 47 seconds. Biden spoke for almost 17 minutes. Harris only spoke for 12 and a half minutes, which was less than Warren, Biden, Klobuchar, O'Rourke, Sanders, and Buttigieg. And so mind you, she's polling higher than three of those people, like significantly higher than right. three of those people. And she was the only candidate. She actually got the most amount of speaking time of any of the candidates of color. And every single person that got less speaking time than her was also a candidate of color, with the exception of Tom Steyer. And honestly, what like once I read those statistics, it made me so angry because it, it blew my mind yeah. it blew my mind because i know like you watch it and sometimes you're like oh maybe it's in my head because mm -hmm. i like her and i want to like you know hear about her but my dad is a republican and he actually is very interested in kamala harris and he thinks she's actually a very good candidate which is absolutely Incredible. insane yes that he's even entertaining this idea so he and my mom actually sat down to watch the debate and after a while he got up and he was like i can't even watch this they, the camera wasn't even panning to her at any point. He was like, this is honestly ridiculous. And he just got up and left. Yeah. And my mom as well is not particularly pol politically inclined, but this election cycle, because I've been so involved, she's also been so involved. And she was doing something else and she came back and she's like, is Kamala even at this event? Exactly. And that's really what it felt like. It, it is what it felt like. And that's like. what the numbers reflect as well. I was almost hoping that I was wrong, you know, at my f the first impressions I had when I was watching the debate, but then this confirmed it for me. Right. And the most amount of speaking time that Harris got on any topic was a minute and 22 seconds, compared to Elizabeth Warren, who spoke for nearly four minutes on healthcare alone. Yet did not explain how she was going to pay for her plan. Exactly. We'll, we'll talk about healthcare in another episode. Yes. And then in CNN's post-debate coverage, I remember I was texting you as this was happening. Yeah. They did a quick little summary of like the their typical winners and losers. She did well. He did well. And no mention of Kamala whatsoever. So then I was like, you know what? I'm going to how, time how long it takes for them to even mention her name mm -hmm. in any context. So 42 minutes later, at almost midnight, I finally hear the name Kamala Harris. Why? Because they were introducing her as their next guest. So by that time, it was, she was she went on the air when it was 
very, very close to midnight. I think it may have been past midnight. Right. And the only reason that I was still watching it was because of this particular reason. Otherwise, I would have turned the TV off. Yeah. Which I'm sure most people did because it was late. I remember I did, actually. Yeah. Yeah. No, th those kind of repeated erasure have been problematic. Um, the other thing I want to mention is, according to the Global Database of Events, Language and Tone, the TV news mentioned for candidates during the week of October 20th were as follows. So it is every time the candidate is mentioned, not just directly when he has an interview, but every time somebody mentions him. So Joe Biden was mentioned 2,448 times. Elizabeth Warren came second with 1,668 times. Bernie Sanders with 999 times. Pete Buttigieg w came fourth at 283rd time, although you can see the huge drop between third and fourth here. Mm -hmm. Kamala Harris only had 172 TV mentions. Mind you, this is over all the primary networks over seven days, 172. Unbelievable. This is, yes, especially because at least 200 or probably, not 200, but probably at least 50 were hers directly. I know. And it's insane to me that you can give two candidates bi between Biden and Warren they have literally over 4,000 mentions on TV just between the two of them. So there's no wonder why everyone thinks that they're the two front runners when they're the people that they're hearing about the most. And when you have, and again, these are not even positive or negative mentions. These are just mentions, mentions. period. When you have somebody that's being mentioned 172 times versus 2,448 times, there's no way that that can be a level playing field. There's no way. And she, again, got the most mentions of any candidate of color that right. week. And this has been a trend, not just that week. That's the most up-to-date da data that we have. That has been a trend every single week. She doesn't even come close to 500. Exactly. Something that happened also very recently, actually, uh, yeah, it was a couple of days ago, the New York Times published an article on October 29th titled, Democrats have the most racially diverse field ever. The top tier is all white. So the four leaders referred here are Biden, Warren, Sanders, and Buttigieg. So first of all, in what universe is Buttigieg ahead of Harris? And know. why are we trying to make that happen? I would love to know, honestly. Like, that isn't even consistent with any polling numbers at all. It, it's just... I. That's even, honestly, the first time that I've seen anybody mention him in the top four. She's always been the fourth person. I know. It, it It's incredible. So then, you know, reading, first of all, the, the article title is a little bit of clickbait, but, you know, let's say you go through it, it doesn't get any better. So something that I want to quote is, Democrats' most recent White House victories were powered by a strong minority turnout for a black nominee. Fair, that's true. Yes. Donors for Mr. Booker and Mrs. Harris have argued that such implicit bias causes voter and pundits to treat Mr. Buttigieg as the natural heir to Mr. Biden's moderate coalition though their candidates perform better among older black voters. The Democrats' most loyal moderate voting bloc. So on one hand, you're saying that the most number of minority, the highest number of minority turnout was for a black nominee, right? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you're saying that even though Cory Booker and Kamala Harris supporters tend to be more diverse and they have more voters of color and particularly black voters, mm -hmm. Somehow, Buttigieg is the natural heir to Biden's moderate views, which in that sentence also they are saying essentially that, you know, we need an heir to him, which is also kind of weird. It's a different point, but it is very strange. But Buttigieg is regularly polling like zero and one percent with black voters. So exactly. I'm not really sure why, how, how that narrative even Exists. came to be. Right. If there was a South Carolina poll 
very a few days ago that he, he was he was polling at one. Yeah. Um, another quote is any assessment of the performance of non-white candidates is complicated by Mr. Biden's enduring appeal with black voters. Then goes on to say Mrs. Harris has more money in the bank and more endorsement from the Congressional Black Caucus than Mr. Biden. Then again goes on to say, while none of the leading white candidates have proved they can force a multiracial coalition, they still have time to make inroads. So why do the white candidates still have time to make inroads when they have not proven thus far that they have the ability to do so? But the candidates of colors can't. I would love to know. And they even, they even tried to argue that Miss Harris, Mr. Castro, and Mr. Booker are inhibited in part because they came up through the Democratic establishment and have faced criticism for legislative records that are viewed as out of step with the ascendant progressive wing. So part one of that is that they've come up through the Democratic establishment. So Biden didn't come up through the Democratic establishment? Where did right. he come from? Yeah. I thought he was a senator, right? For Delaware for decades. Mm -hmm. I thought that sounds like the third time running for president. Mm-hmm. And the second part of that, which is that they have received criticism for their legislative records. Once again, Elizabeth Warren was a Republican until she was 47. Okay. And can't remember if she supported or was against gay marriage, but she's in touch somehow with the ascendant progressive wing. Right. So the article then goes on to claim that voters feel that some non-white Democrats who decided not to run, such as Mrs. Abrahams of Georgia or Andrew Gillum of Florida, would have been stronger candidates. But who's to say that they would have received any better treatment than existing candidates of color in the race? Exactly. It's always, and that's the thing that always happens. So with Hillary Clinton, it was like, we were ready for the first woman president, but not this woman. Now it's like, oh, we're ready for the first woman of color president, but not this woman. So who's to say that Stacey Abrams joining the race or Andrew Gillum, who didn't even win in Florida, would be treated any differently than all of the other candidates of color have been treated across the board? It seems like it's always we want a woman, we don't want this woman. We want this person of color, but we don't want them. Oh, those people, they're not running, they should be running. Right. Right. Yeah. They're going to end up having facing the same bias that we've been listing it would just be against someone else and again it's one thing if you have bad plans you have bad ideas you don't have experience but to be not even given the same the same platform the of same tv mentions of time. i think that says it all or not removing your poll number not having your picture on an image yeah yeah and that's the thing like for people like us who are very involved it's okay because we are very on top of all of these things. But if you're a casual voter and you're just like, oh, let me see what's going on in the election and you catch up like once a week, once every two weeks, you just see, you'd be like, oh, Kamala's campaign is dead. Like she's not. Maybe she's even dropped out. Who maybe even she's knows? dropped out. Who knows? Right. And I've had people ask me, they're like, oh, she's not like doing anything. I'm like, she is doing a lot of things, actually. She has, she has introduced tons and tons of legislation in the Senate, mm -hmm. introduced tons and tons of plans, very, very, very much in detail on her website, makes tons of... She's actually the candidate that has spent the most amount of time in Iowa this month. Exactly. She spent 15 days in Iowa this month mm -hmm. compared to the second, second most was just like four or five, something like that. So something, though, is that speaking up about those things, either to your friends or just in general, can really bring about change. So something we've seen, um, we're going to give you an example, but there, it has happened multiple times. So a prominent trans activist Charlotte Clymer tweeted on December 17. Last night, Elizabeth Warren drew a crowd of 20,000 people in Washington Square Park, the largest of any candidate in the primary so far. I guess she never got the memo about her electability. 
<laughs> so Twitter users pointed out very quickly that Kamala Harris in January had 22,000 people at her campaign rally uh, kickoff in Oakland, California. So Clymer then went on to update her statement saying, excuse me, Kamala Harris also had a rally uh, with at least 20,000 attendants. Certainly didn't mean to forget that. I love them all. But here's the thing. When you edit an article or you, ch or you retweet, um, yes, you tweet a second time since you can't edit a tweet. Once you, you know, post a second statement or a second tweet, the majority of people will never see it. So if your first statement is wrong or has bias, that's it. It's out in the world for people to see. So that's just a lot of people have mentioned to me, did you see Warren's rally um, in, downtown, in downtown New York? Like, how did she get all those people there? She's the only one. No, that's not true. And the thing is, when you have somebody on Twitter or a journalist writing a story with those kind of words, even if they're being edited later, you just won't see it. And the story is kind of out there for everyone to see. And actually, that same night, I was watching the Rachel Maddow show, and I love Rachel. I think she's phenomenal. But she had Kamala Harris on as the guest that night and actually mentioned to her, you know, you had the biggest rally of any Democratic candidate so far, mm -hmm. but there's but an event happening downtown that might have you beat. And I'm not, I'm not disputing anything here, but I do want to say that... Um, for the rally in Oakland, Oakland PD did confirm that there were 22,000 people there. Right. Um, for the rally in Washington Square Park, and I'm sure a lot of you have been to Washington Square Park. If you're a New Yorker listening, if you're you a New Yorker, have. you definitely have. Um, they actually said that they had only issued a permit for eight to 10,000 people and that the capacity of the park is 10,000 people. So they couldn't even corroborate the campaign's numbers. But right. Obviously, in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't really matter. That's such a minor, minor thing. But that's just an example of how these little things can just add up. Well, it is a double, though, right? If they had right. 10,000 people, now they're saying it's 20,000, it's kind of doubling up the facts. So, right. right, it is It is definitely a problem. Yeah. And then the issue with that is that people don't question it. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, she said it? Of course. That must be the truth. That must be true. But exactly. then, you know, like... All of these things can make you feel really down and be like, you know what, like, what is the point? Like, it's never going to change. But there is a way to make it change. And just even with Charlotte Clymer herself, she has been more mindful of what she says now about Kamala Harris. So after that, she said, reminder that the two biggest campaign crowds drawn during this primary so far have been for women candidates. Kamala Harris had an estimated 22,000 people at her campaign launch in Oakland. Elizabeth Warren had at least 20,000 at her rally in NYC this week. And late, later on this month, she said, Senator Kamala Harris is battling both sexism and racism in her bid for the White House. And folks would do well to remember that. And you know what? I do appreciate that. Right. I think that's a very honest statement to, for her to, to say. And I think that people pointing out the issues at the beginning have made her, and she has a very widespread target audience as mm -hmm. well, a very widespread reach. Right. So that does help. Um, the Huffington Post also published an article titled, Kamala Harris makes case for Twitter to ban Trump. I believe that was published um, right around uh, the last debate in October. And they used an unflattering photo for her, for her that they later updated with an apology saying we've replaced the original photo of Senator Kamala Harris in the story as it played into negative cultural stereotypes about black women. The picture they had used was her talking um, at an outdoor rally uh, with like uh, rain falling down her face. Girl, I don't even know how hard it must have been for them to find that picture. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. They made her look worse than Trump. 
Yeah. Worse than Trump. They probably I searched her name on Google Images because I was like, how deep do I have to go to find this picture? You and I to went and made like pages. I couldn't even find it. Um, and then they their apology was like it played into negative cultural stereotypes about black women. It was racist. Like say w- that it was a racist stereotype because that is what it was. And it really played into that, you know, angry black woman trope. Also her... The the article was Kevin Harris makes case for Twitter to ban Trump. This was not even an angry, right. it's not an angry position. It's a position of this is what's happening when he tweets, and this is the facts of why he should be banned. There was nothing angry about this whole thing, no. and she's expressed that in in a very non-angered way. So, so th- many times this was yeah, yeah this was this picture was completely out of the blue. Um, and th- that was completely racist too. Um, something that we've seen on Twitter and in other places is that Kamala specifically is a victim of disinformation more than the other candidates. According to Marvelous Al, the breakdown of the top four candidates Twitter mentioned is as follows. So Bernie Sanders gets around a 70% attack uh, and 30% of support. Joe Biden is about 50-50 with 48% attack and 52% of support. Elizabeth Warren gets 25% of attack, so a lot smaller percentage, and 75% of support. And Kamala is at 85% attack and 15% support. So of the 85% of attacks on Kamala, most were about her character and identity. And it should, I just want to point out as well that the number of tweets that were in attack for the candidates was vastly different. So the 25% of attacks that Elizabeth Warren had amounted to 17,225 tweets. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the 85% of attacks that Kamala was on the receiving end of were 181,795. So that's 10 times more. Yeah, more than 10 times. Yeah. And how do you even begin to control that? It goes back to the earlier point, right? If somebody tweets something that's factually wrong, and then you let's say you ended up seeing it 10 times more, it creates you know, a story that is maybe wrong, but it's out there mm-hmm. and you are 10 times more likely to see it. Yeah. Um, so actually, that's a good segue to our following point. You just mentioned Elizabeth Warren, you know, attack. So in the, uh, I would say maybe two, two last month, uh, we've seen Warren really being pushed as a nominee. Personally, you know, in my friends circle, they have mentioned that. They have mentioned, you know, I don't know about Kamala. It seems like Warren is the right choice when let's remind ourselves that no one has cast a single vote. Mm-hmm. Um, the convention is still eight months away. And there was a lot of buzz about um, about a month or two ago about uh, claims about how she was talking to Andrew Gillum about sparking VP buzz and how he could be a great VP for her. Like, slow your roll. And I don't even think that her campaign was actually trying to do that they had said like no that's not anything like what the conversation was about and andrew gillum also said like i've talked to multiple campaigns right but the fact that that's the angle that the media chose to take that on was like she's sparking vp buzz with andrew gillum means that she's already the nominee like not one vote has has been been cast. cast yeah and like it bears repeating that hillary clinton on election night had a 98 percent favorability to win right so i think primary polls that, you know, have st- I think polls have been out for at least six months now. Yeah. Primary polls for primary dates that are different. For some, it's about we're about three, four months away. Some are almost um, six to seven months away. It's just cons- it's honestly it's awful reporting. People need to know the facts, but they can't be you can't be pushing a narrative that you'd like when there's there's zero basis for it. Mm-hmm. 
So it's also, you know, as we're talking about polls, we should also think about, you know, polls are obviously moving, but um, in one of the most recent polls by Quinnipiac University on September 25th, of Biden supporters, 49% uh, of them say that they have their ma minds made up, and 46% of them say they might change. Reminder, decline to answer. So you have almost 50% of people saying they might change. Of Warren supporters, you have only 30% of people saying their minds have met up. And 68, 68, so here we're at more than more two thirds, two say they might change, which is just crazy. So why are we, which is fine. I think, you know, we're still a few months away from the election. I don't expect everyone to have their minds made up. I think it's great that they're hearing different platform. So why then is the media reporting that Warren is the first person out there? Right, because they report these polls and they show them with zero context. Yep. So they don't say that this is how many people are undecided. They're just like, oh, she has 21%, she's going to win, end of story. But it, that's not reflecting the bigger picture of what's actually going on here. Absolutely. And then they never mention polling size. So there was one poll over the summer. Um, the polling size was about 250 people. And it became a story um, because I think Kamala was polling a little lower than before. The poll was on 250 people. Mm -hmm. In New York City, that's usually uh, a couple of buildings. Yeah. So this is if just... that, maybe right. one building even. This is, this is just nuts. Um, even one of the largest polls I've seen it was 1,000 people. So just something to remind yourself, you know, as you're seeing polls, positive or negative, for your candidate, for Kamala, for anyone really, is the polling size to this day, because we're still really early in the election cycle, is always going to be small. And another thing that needs to be explained in the context of these polls as well is amongst undecided voters, you form your own opinions and you form these ideas. So some of them are favorable, some of them are unfavorable. So I'm not going to go into those specific numbers. But the key here is the population that says they haven't heard enough, right? Mm -hmm. So those are voters that could go either for that candidate or against that candidate, depending which way the wind blows. So right. Bernie Sanders, only 8% of voters say they haven't heard enough about them. So the rest of the 92% They're good. have their opinion. Whether they like him or dislike him, they have an opinion. Joe Biden, 9% say they haven't heard enough about him. With Elizabeth Warren, 19% say they haven't heard enough about her. So that's like roughly one-fifth of the undecided right. voters don't it have an opinion. becomes more sizable. And it does make sense. I mean, the prior two name mentions have mm -hmm. They've been run. VP or been um, a 2016 candidate. So yeah. that makes sense. So Elizabeth Warren is at 19% for haven't heard enough. And then you have a huge jump to Kamala Harris, where 32% of undecided voters say they haven't heard enough about her. I wonder why. Which plays into literally every single thing that we've been saying up until this point. And that's a problem as well. So people are, are counting her out of the race. And we haven't gone into depth with the other lower polling candidates because we're more focused on her right now. But that is discounting a lot of possibilities. You know, like you never know where the what's going to happen, where like the exactly momentum is going to go with those even 32 percent of voters. So something you can look at, though, is the number of endorsements um, for each candidate. You know, right. no one has cast a vote and endorsements really mean that people trust you to get things done and follow through on your platform. And these are career public servants. So like yep. governors, senators, city council, representatives mm -hmm. from all over the country. Right. All walks of life. 
Um, so you have Joe Biden, which has, uh, as of October 15, he had the most at 36, which again makes sense. Huge name recognition, really good work with Obama there. Um, Kamala Harris is actually second. She had 34, which is huge when you compare to everything we've been saying before. Right. Cory Booker, which is not even in the top five, has 22 uh, endorsements, which is actually pretty huge compared to where he is in the polls. Yeah. Again, never take the polls as the, the truth. Bernie Sanders has 20 and Elizabeth Warren has 18, mm -hmm. half of Joe Biden's endorsement, which I think says a lot because look, I mean, your peers and people working in your field, getting an endorsement, first of all, is not easy at this yeah. stage of the, of the election cycle. And it's essentially a stamp of approval about what you're doing, about your character, about what's going to happen if you're elected. Right. And people forget that, yeah, we're electing a president, but the president also needs to have the ability to work with other people in the government. Right. So if you have these endorsements, that's kind of like a backing from the people that you're going to be working with at some point saying, like, we trust you. We believe in your ability to be the right person for this job. And just like a little bit of a summary of the polls and just to provide some greater context um honestly i will say that a lot of people that i know have not really been that involved in politics until 2016 mm -hmm. and a lot of involvement has driven up a lot more in recent months and recent years so people are just going off of like oh the polls now and 2016 now and 2016 but no there's such a bigger picture between like much before that so just for context, in the second half of 2007, so that is the year prior to the election, so that's kind of where we are right now. Right. Um, in the second half of 2007, Barack Obama was polling nearly 20 percentage points behind Hillary Clinton. Right. Right? We know what happened there. Right. This was also the case for Bill Clinton in 1992, who was polling at, get this, 7% at the same time. 7%. And... In the 2004 election, that was the same thing as well. John Kerry was one of the was polling in low single digits as well at this point in the election. Because and no meaning. In all of those cases, in all of those cases, mm -hmm. the front runner at this point in the election did not go on to win the nomination. And you know what? This is actually a point you can make across the Republican um primary at this time marco rubio was a front runner mm -hmm. i don't know if you remember what happened to him but he's definitely not president um so yes this is something to definitely keep in mind not a single vote has been cast i think a lot of people are still learning we're still learning mm -hmm. about everybody's platform about Kamala's record about everything um n not a single vote has been cast i think that right. would be my my word right and our intention here is not to like you know talk badly on any other candidates, but just to provide a greater context on things that people who are just casually following the election might not be aware of. Because I have heard from a lot of my friends and a lot of my family, like, oh, we like, like her and she seems cool, but like, I don't think she's going anywhere or I haven't heard about her. Not even that I've heard bad things about her. Mm -hmm. I just haven't heard about her. Exactly. And then because there's such low medium coverage, the problem then is that it creates a feedback loop. So, for example, she may be your favorite candidate, but because you're seeing those polls number, your, those polls number, and you're seeing, you know, the low media coverage, you're thinking, okay, she may not have a chance, so right. I'm not going to vote for her. Right. So then you don't actually vote for her. Yeah. So then she does not win. She or another person does not win. So that's a feedback loop. So this is why you should always stick to your gut, even 
particularly at this time in early voting, at the very beginning of a primary, you should really research the candidate and then stick to what you think, who you think is the best person. Not think, okay, I really like this person, but they're not doing well in the polls. So you know what? I'm going to vote for my second choice right from the bat. Right. That's not how uh, we should go about it. And honestly, what really drew me to her as a candidate, and after 2016, I honestly felt that I didn't do enough to get Hillary elected, and that was really weighing on my mind. So for 2020, I was like, I'm going to let the candidates wow me. Like, I'm ready to do whatever I can do, whether that's hosting debate watch parties, text banking, phone banking, canvassing. I'm ready to do it all. I wanted to make sure that it was for the right person. And I didn't go into this election cycle with any pre-existing ideas of who I was going to vote for. But when she announced her candidacy and she had all of these plans to back up the, the years and decades of service that she's had for the public in California, I... Like I need to I really feel like people are not understanding the depth of her experience. So she's worked at local, at state, at federal levels. She's currently the only candidate running for president that serves on both the Senate Judiciary and Senate Intelligence Committees. So first of all, the security clearance that she has and the details that she knows about things that are going on at the highest levels of government. She has more access to that mm -hmm. than a lot of the other candidates who are running. And she's already developing and understanding and experience on that while serving on those committees. Um, she was also the first African-American woman to serve as attorney general of California, which happens to be the largest state in the country. And she was the head of the Department of Justice, which was the largest Department of Justice. The only Department of Justice that's larger than that is the, the United one. States Department of Justice. So exactly. girl knows what she's doing. And she's also the first South Asian-American woman at all, like the first South Asian American to serve on the United States Senate. Like I'm Indian, so that really hits me. But this is crazy, though, right? It's crazy. It's insane. So and then I want to make just one final point here, which is a person who has been the first female African-American attorney general, the first South Asian American senator in the United States Senate. She has what it takes to be the first woman president. She Her does. record speaks for itself. If it needs, if you need clarifying, I urge you, you can ask us. You can go to KamalaHarris.org slash issues. Um, you can find out a lot more about what she's going for on her website. And if you have a chance also, please consider making a donation to the campaign because the only way that we can combat the lack of media attention and the lack of news coverage is by putting people on the ground. And the only way that the campaign can do that is if they can pay people salaries and they can pay for the resources that they need. So that would be really awesome if you guys could do that. Yeah, so please check CaminaHarris.org. And um, we'll see you next time.